Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years. Every other Thursday we feature just one classic story from the vaults. We ask that you keep the historical context in mind. Today, in 2021, there's a different consciousness. We've always asked storytellers to speak in as unfiltered a way as possible, and yet to tell their stories with as much compassion as possible. Even so, I'm sure the storytellers and the host might have worded some of what they said on these old episodes differently if they'd been recorded more recently. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, a story that Brett Ween first shared on the show in March of 2014. Here's Brett now with a story we call The Bullfight. When I was 17, I left home for the first time to go away to college. My mom had a nervous breakdown. I don't mean she had like a funny ha nervous breakdown, like funny, like my Jewish mother is, is having a nervous breakdown with the separation anxiety or whatever. It's not that she didn't want me to go away to college. She would have killed me if I hadn't. She thought she was very liberal as I was growing up. She said I could be anything I wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> so my mom was funny. <laughs> she was she was sort of like a nice-looking sort of young Joan Riversy type. She was inspired I think by Joan Rivers and she would constantly at some point during my childhood keep saying like can we talk? Like I'm sure 800 million Jewish mothers were saying at the time and like I don't get older I get blonder. <laughs> She 
she had sent me to sort of a hoity-toity private school, and she was a member of the Mothers Association, as they called it back then. At one point, she found out that there was a luncheon that was going to take place at the even fancier cricket club across the street, which at the time was still restricted. My mom raised holy hell until they agreed to change the location. She was always ready to do anything for anybody, but it was much easier for her to do stuff for other people than for herself. I found out later, a very smart British psychologist explained to me that she had what was a raging personality disorder. And this would explain why when I was growing up, in between all her being so lovable and amazing mom, very well-liked and very social, she would go into these depressions. It was just me. My parents were divorced since I was in first grade. It would just be me alone in the house with her, her trying to sleep off her sadness, and me just trying to be very, very quiet, keep all the lights off, and me trying to make her laugh, convince her to snap out of it, not be depressed, and not take a bunch of pills and wind up in the hospital again. My mom was born with a hole in her heart. I grew up hearing stories about how she got sent off to Johns Hopkins and had to lay in a bathtub of ice cubes to get her temperature down low enough for what was really experimental surgery at the time. Now, she also had an older sister who died. But what this amounted to was that by the time she got better, even though they weren't the type of people to spoil their kids, they were just so incredibly happy that she was alive. So my mom got first row tickets to the Beatles when they were first in town and a little GTO and whatever she wanted. But this hurt her in the long run after she got divorced and she hadn't figured out what she wanted to do with her life because she always thought of herself as a sick little girl who someone no matter what was going on, would swoop in and save the day. She was so well-liked and charming that most of the time someone would. She would flip out when my grandparents kind of tried to gently tell her, look, you need to take care of yourself, and we can't supply you with money forever. And I think this was so terrifying to her that she just flew into a rage. And I remember her standing in her bedroom my grandparents and I sort of around her, and she grabbed the lamp, this glass lamp from her nightstand, unplugged it and stormed over to the window and opened the window. And we suddenly all realized, oh my God, she's going to throw the lamp out the window. We all said, Mom or Sandy, stop it. Don't throw the lamp out the... And she threw it. We watched it sail over the lawn, about to land on the gravel pathway leading up to the house. And it, it didn't quite make it. And it landed on the grass. And it just thumped down. It didn't break. We were looking at her. She was looking at us. We were looking at each other. And she stood there for a second, enraged. And then she stormed past us down the stairs. She grabbed the lamp, came back in the house, marched past all of us back into her room. We're like, Mom, no, come on, no, don't. She threw the lamp again harder this time. And this time, it made it to the gravel path and just exploded. My grandfather went outside, cleaned it up, and he said, we're leaving. 
Even at the time, I thought, you know, if I weren't in the middle of all this, it would be funny. So when I did go away to school, it was pretty much of a full-fledged freakout. I knew it was going to happen, but I was kind of hoping I'd have a little bit more of a chance to get settled in before that happened. Maybe sign up for my classes, make some friends, check out the dining hall, find out where the library was, lose my virginity, just the basic, basic little things. But unfortunately, it pretty much happened right away during freshman week. I'd been placed in sort of a three-person suite on the first floor of what was, I guess, like the party dorm. And it turned out this room, the last couple of years, had been known as the party room. And so people were coming up to us, the few seniors who were around, leading us freshmen around, came up to me and my, my roommate, Zach, were saying, like, you got to keep the dream alive, man. It's the party room. Zach was this very smart, funny guy who put this incredibly scary poster of like the goth band Skinny Puppy up across the wall from me from where I was sleeping. And they looked like vampires. And he would fall asleep to this terrifying, it was like nightmare music, where I would sort of, I'd fall asleep for a few minutes into it, just naturally falling into a horrible vampiric nightmare, and then wake up and open my eyes, and there'd be these vampire people looking right at me. It was horrible. But I had one up on him in terms of (laughs) screwing up his sleep patterns, because within a few nights, my mom started calling on our shared landline and speaking into the answering machine, and when I didn't pick up immediately, would start crying and screaming and being very loud, insisting that I come home right this minute. When she was leaving me messages, she would be in freakout mode. And it was a mixture of that kind of violent outburst and just painfully pleading, please come home, I need you. And I knew that she didn't want me to leave school. I knew from experience that this was going to be over. She didn't actually want me to come home. I knew I just had to wait it out. I would try talking to her during the day, or I'd pick up for a second at night and then unplug the phone. I tried talking with her reasonably, and she would just get more and more agitated. Still, I knew that within a few days, she would calm down. I knew she didn't actually want me to come home. So that Friday night, it was... I guess what turned into the first major campus party. And of course, this was in my room. (laughs) And of course, my mom chose that night to take things to a new level, which involved calling the college president and calling anyone she could get on the phone. So we unplugged the phone and all these people partying in my room and in the hallway outside had no idea of the tempest that was kind of brewing. One of the assistant deans of students, I think, sort of quietly came by, and we ended up going back to her house nearby. She assured me that if my mom did, in fact, follow through on her plans to disown me, (laughs) which was news to me, they would find some way to work out tuition. I tried to sort of 
cogently explained to this assistant dean what exactly the situation was, what I'd sort of been through over the years, and certainly more what my mom must be going through right now psychologically. As it turned out, within a few days, my mom's kind of freshman year freakout did just suddenly disappear. It just went away the way it always did, which is that it was never explained. It was never spoken of. There was never any apology or conversation about it. It was as though it never happened, and I was more or less happy to have it that way as long as she was calmer. I loved college. Once I was able to settle in and make friends and this all calmed down, I was still like kind of a shy and secure kid, but I was coming out of my shell a little bit. I was making friends, still hadn't lost my virginity, but it was only a couple months in and I was finding myself. I was still fielding pretty constant phone calls that weren't quite of that magnitude, but I'd be on the phone with her once or twice a day sometimes, and often they'd be really, really fun conversations. But there were still other times, as I was used to from growing up as a teenager, of her just being scared and wanting me to provide answers and wanting me to listen and wanting me to make everything better. I'm a good listener, and I love my mom, and we were best friends, but I couldn't quite take the wheel from her. I was constantly putting out emotional fires, or trying to, that would just come back. One night toward the end of the semester, I was sitting alone in my dorm room, reading through this book for my German literature and translation class. And the book was called Steppenwolf by Hermann Hesse. And I loved the class, but I hadn't even finished reading the book yet, and I knew I had to finish writing a paper on it, which was essentially our final exam for that class. I had just gotten off the phone with my mom, who was in a typical state for how she would be when I was just about to come home. She would sort of ramp up. And I was just off and on the phone with her for hours that night, knowing that I had final exams to prepare for and knowing very specifically that I had to finish reading this book and finish writing this paper. She was especially worried at the moment about money. My grandfather had died, and my grandmother was very ill. She had a brain tumor, which they couldn't totally remove. And money was really tight, and she didn't know what she was going to do. Now, the most basic thing that anyone would normally say to someone like that, very gently, would be like, have you th thought of getting any sort of a job? But that was the one thing that no one was really allowed to say to her. She would sort of freak out if you mentioned that to her. And my mom kept calling and crying and asking me for solutions to what was going on, and then suddenly turning on me, saying like, you're up at school having the time of your life, and I'm here. I need you. She'd actually called my film professor. He, of course, called me into his office and said, you can go home if there's, if there's something going on. I was like, well, no, it's not really about that. It always felt like if I could do this very specific, gentle dance of making her feel like things were going to be okay, but defending myself not fighting back too hard. It always felt like if I said the exact right thing, 
like a video game, it would unlock the screen where she would be okay and take care of herself and stop screaming and stop crying. But I was never able to unlock the screen. Finally, I got off the phone with her for what seemed like the third or fourth time that night. It was getting late, and I went down a flight of steps to my friend Brittany's room. Brittany was an English major, and she was on a Hemingway kick. So I sat down on her bed. She was sitting at her desk, her back to me. She was telling me about how she wanted to go to Spain and see a bullfight. I'd grown up with animals. I'd had all these wonderful dogs who we thought of as part of the family. I never seriously became like an animal rights activist or anything. But right then, her talking about the bullfights, I suddenly became really incensed and upset. The thought of some animal kept in a pen and then forced to go out and fight some guy dressed up like a schmuck with a weapon and fight to the death just seemed disgusting to me. And I told Brittany that. It's not noble, this is barbaric, and I can't believe that bullfighting is still allowed. You know, this is not civilized. This is cruel. And Brittany was just like, I don't know. I just think it's cool. Her back was still to me, and she didn't realize how upset I'd become. Back in my room a few minutes later, I tried getting back into the book, which was still (laughs) pretty constantly centered on this depressed German guy wanting to go back to his room with this really terrific razor blade, as I remember it. And my mom called once again, and I was on and off the phone with her for another few hours. Sitting there, the narrative that I kept reading really seemed to mirror my own anxiety. During the last year of high school, I kind of echoed my mom's own behavior by sleeping as much as possible, just to kind of not be awake and not have to deal with the anxiety of being around this person who kept trying and in fact attempting to kill herself and constantly having a lot of stress put on myself to fix things in every possible way. Now that I was up here in college, I actually really enjoyed my life. I'd never truly been depressed before, but I realized the happiness I was feeling in this new life away from her was just in this weird vacuum. I was always going to have to take care of her, and I had no way really of taking care of her. I was always going to have to be doing some exam or finishing a paper or eventually having a job and not being able to concentrate on it because at the spur of the moment I'd have to run home or I'd have her calling my teachers or eventually my bosses. There was no end in sight to all of her problems so I could easily imagine someone running back to their bleak German room I picked up the book a few more times. I realized I was reading the same bits over and over again. I was exhausted. I decided to try and go to sleep and pick up in the morning. I tossed and turned. I couldn't really get a good night's rest. And I woke up probably around five in the morning, maybe a little bit earlier. The sun was maybe out just a bit. The dorm was quiet. There was no way I could get this paper done, let alone all my exams. I kept expecting the phone to ring because if I was up, it meant she could be up. 
and I realized that pills really would be the easiest way. So I went around my dorm room trying to think of the one thing I might have. And after a few minutes, I found that big bottle of Tylenol. (laughs) And I figured if you took enough of anything, it would kill you. So I grabbed a big bottle, filled it up with water, and tried to swallow as many of the pills as I could. It was hard to swallow all of the pills, and suddenly it just exploded up at me, like this violent force. It was like I was in a comic book. There's that moment where, for whatever reason, all this cosmic life force emanates inside the one guy. It was like He-Man with, I have the power! I wasn't some guy, like, sadly throwing up after a party. This was like the universe was flowing through me in a moment of cosmic reboot. My room wasn't that big, but it like shot out like this girder from my mouth to the opposite wall for what felt like minutes. And while this was going on, nothing else existed. And I was actually very calm. I thought, oh my God, this is a real thing. I'm projectile vomiting. This is kind of neat. And then eventually it stopped. My room was covered in puke. I didn't know then that in the coming years my mom's situation would grow worse. All the friends and family members who for literally decades helped her both emotionally and even financially and materially were they would just very very slowly fall away as my mom's behavior became more and more difficult to handle. I didn't know that then. As close as we were, as much as there was no possible way she could ever have truly pushed me away, nothing I could do, ultimately, was really going to save her. Twenty years later, sitting in my apartment in New York City, I would get a phone call telling me that after all this time, She'd finally done what she had so often threatened to do. She had been evicted from one apartment. She was about to be evicted from another apartment. And I let my machine pick up because after offering to come in and help her sort things out and not getting a call back, I just wanted to stay out of it. I listened to the message a few minutes later and it was the landlord saying that they'd had to let themselves in because my mom wouldn't answer her door. By the time they'd gotten in, she was already gone. As I listened to that, I didn't realize what that meant. I thought, she's already gone, so she got out of the apartment. And then it hit me. I had no idea that that my mom would actually kill herself. And so I stood there in my dorm room, five in the morning, surrounded by a sea of vomit. And I didn't know anything. And I didn't know whether I was going to die or not. But I, I realized as I was standing there, 
that I guess I didn't want to die. And that however bad our situation felt, I wanted, I guess, to be okay. So I, I did the only thing I could think to do. I called my mommy. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.